welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. We pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so there have been several evenings at this point. Now the weather is beautiful. Uh, there was some that weren't 90 degrees outside the last couple days. And one of the things that we've started doing is at least once a week, we, we build a fire out in our fire pit in the backyard. It's really relaxing. And there's a forest behind our house, which many of you saw in our backyard worship. And around dusk, the fire's going, and I've been able to look out towards the forest. And I saw something that I haven't seen in a long time. Bats. There are like bats everywhere at dusk, just going all over the place out there. It's really cool to watch as they dart and bob their way across the tree line, uh, and they fuel up for, for a busy night before returning to sleep the next day. And besides insect control, I don't know how many of you know this, but bats are actually good for something else. They're one of the only nocturne mammals that help pollinate plants. Uh, so that's something else they're good for. And After the bees and the butterflies go to sleep, the bats and the moths wake up for a busy night of pollination. Some of the flowers from the daytime have closed uh, at that point, but there are a lot of flowers that actually stay open during the night, and there are some that open up at night. As you were driving in this morning, you would have seen what's called a moonflower. Uh, those are these big, white, almost look like daylilies, but they're called moonflowers, and they open up in the nighttime. And they're huge. And so there are some flowers like that. We need nighttime pollinators as much as we need daytime pollinators. And it reminds me there's good creative work that's happening at the nighttime that we are just not aware of. We're asleep. And that work is accomplished in the dark. The work that's accomplished in the dark results in the beauty that we see in the daylight. And if we were to look back on our life with Jesus... I would imagine that some of the most formative markers that you and I have along the journey, some of those moments will be joy and blessing. But I suspect that some of those moments that we look on as formative are what one church writer, St. John of the Cross, calls the dark night of the soul. Writing in the 16th century, St. John of the Cross writes about these moments where he would describe them as there's no sweetness in the things of God where there's no pleasure or consolation in either the things of God or the good things that God's created. It's a place where we feel like there's no spiritual blessing that remains for us, that God's abandoned us, and we find no more help or pleasure in good things. In that dark night, there's actually a promise of productivity. It's not a place of abandonment, even though it may be a terrifying place of divine silence. What we're, what we're learning then from the book of Job this morning is that we who follow Jesus, we can entrust ourselves and what feels out of control to the God who works good things for his people in the dark. In Christ then, we don't seek to avoid suffering, but actually we seek to discover the usefulness of suffering. 
The book of Job is a book of wisdom. It's one that we haven't spent a lot of time in. We're doing this series in the Old Testament lectionary. We were in Genesis, in Ezekiel, now we're in Job. And it's this book of wisdom through the lens of what's called theodicy. People across time and place have been writing theodicy for a long time, asking how it is that God can be good when evil occurs. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all deeply long for theodicy. When we lose those we love, when we lose stability through the loss of a stable job or displacement from the place that brings us peace, when our health fails, when a community we counted on is no longer there, when things that we hoped for disappear. How is it that God is good when he removes the blessings that he himself blessed us with or withholds the blessings that we were hoping for? So the book of Job, it it begins and it ends with heavenly realities from God's dialogue in the very beginning with heavenly hosts, with Satan himself, and to the end where God has a dialogue with Job. There's so much that we're never going to understand about suffering and why it exists in God's and comes from God's unseen realm. And even though we can't understand it, that doesn't keep us from lobbing very human, very short-sighted explanations or answers at the problem. So after Job has lost his family, after he's lost his wealth, he's lost his own health, he has these dialogues with his friends. And some people have helpfully pointed out that if you look at Job's friends, they're giving all these reasons for his suffering, and these answers could be categorized as deuteronomic or prophetic or even the wisdom perspective of Proverbs. Like these are embodiments of types of wisdom that these friends are giving Job their answers. But the thing is, uh, they're rightfully called in the book itself, miserable comforters. And they're miserable comforters because they actually overestimate their own grasp of God's truth. And then they misapply what they know. And then they close their minds to any facts that are going to contradict their assumptions. And you and I are not unfamiliar with Job's friends. And if we're honest, we've probably been Job's friends at some point. I remember that early in the pandemic on social media, it was like this giant food fight of memes uh, of 25 characters or less that, you know, people would show up in my newsfeed just kind of lobbing bombs at each other uh, with these memes. And, and I remember one person said, you know, look at this pandemic. Maybe God is trying to get America's attention. Now, there's a kernel of truth to that, right? Um, God does get our attention through difficult scenarios. But that, of course, is not the whole story. So I try not to comment on things that I disagree with on Facebook by principle, uh, but I got triggered (laughs) and I broke down and I broke that 25 character limit uh, that's sort of unwritten but expected. And and there was a sharp rebuke and it ended up being way less than productive. So (laughs) that that person, though, you know, they, they overestimated their own grasp of truth. And then they misapplied the truth and the facts that they thought they knew. And then they failed to listen to any of the facts that would contradict their assumptions. And I'm guilty of it too. And I'm probably going to do it again at some point. But the book of Job, 
I think it cautions us against that. It cautions us against overestimating our grasp of God's truth and then against misapplying it and then closing ourselves off from God's correctives that would contradict some of our simplistic uh, assumptions that need some correction. The book begins and it ends with God himself. And that's really important. God is the holder of mysteries. He's the one who's still at work in the dark. The passage invites us to admit that there are things that we just cannot comprehend. We may have gone through situations that terrified us, that made us feel numb, that brought tears to our eyes, sorrow to our hearts. We might be going through that right now. And we'll certainly go through that in the future. And in those dark nights of the soul, we can learn to entrust ourselves and the things that are out of our control to the one who works good things for his people in the dark. So in our reading this morning, Job is hit with a series of questions from God. It's the series of questions is actually a really long poem and has been praised over the centuries for its artistry and the beautiful imagery that comes from this poem. Verse one says that God answered Job out of the whirlwind. He sets himself and he sets Job up almost as an equal, like a dialogue partner, almost like a peer. God is gentle. He's not trying to shame Job any further, so we shouldn't read it that way. And in fact, he actually doesn't accuse Job of doing anything wrong. Instead of answering questions and the questions that Job has or that his friends raise, it's it's like God's inviting him to sit with him and ask some better questions. The series of questions starts with verses four through seven, and he talks about the earth. And then there's more questions in verses eight through 11 about the sea and then the recurrence of the morning. Uh, in verses 12 through 15, and then the underworld in verses 16 through 18. So he's moving to all these realms that Job can't control. Job can't lay claim to having any control over any of these realms that are mentioned by God. And I was thinking about the connection with some of the other passages we've been looking at. We spent time looking at the Garden of Eden two weeks ago, and then from Genesis 3, and then we spent last week looking at pride in Ezekiel chapter 31, where Pharaoh is like this tree and all the trees in the garden of Eden are jealous. So there's connection with the garden of Eden. And now we're in God's creation again. Uh, And it's all about creation. And it's this look at creation as a window to the artistry of this benevolent creative God who promises to Job and to us that suffering is not outside of the realm of his artistic and creative work. Right? Our suffering is not outside the realm of God's artistic, creative work. Other than Jesus Christ himself, there is no man in scripture more virtuous than Job. And that's why when you look even at the church fathers, Gregory the Great, um, the Pope back in the late 6th, early 7th century, he has multiple volumes on moral reflections on the book of Job. He ties together the ministry of Jesus and Job. And he says it this way. That Job was the type of the Redeemer who was to come is proven by his very name. The word Job means one in pain. And by this pain, we understand either the passion of the mediator or the trials of the Holy Church, who is crucified by the many kinds of troubles that she bears in the present life. So as we follow Christ, we're not avoiding pain, nor are we promised an end to the difficulty, but 
in Christ, we're given a purpose for suffering. It's a tool to bring us somehow closer to the heart of God, to love the things that he loves. And in the creation of the world, God is pictured like this builder. Um, And he's perfectly constructed this master edifice. He's pictured as a midwife for the sea. And in verses 8 and following, the sea bursts forth from the womb. And then God wraps this newborn in clouds like a swaddle. And the imagery is rich and it takes a lot of reads through uh, meditatively to unwrap all of the imagery that shows us God's character in the creation. So the questions to Job, the questions to Job are a contemplative invitation. There's a lot that Job can't understand. And we need to rekindle, I think, a sense of wonder in God's world. Work with our hands, maybe do a bit of landscaping, plant a tree. Yesterday I tore out a bush. Uh, splash in a lake. Pick up a cicada and look it in the eyes. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, you know, lay on the grass. Look up, breathe deeply as we enjoy blue sky with clouds slowly making their way across the horizon. Wait for a good thunderstorm and splash around in it. There are a lot of ways that we can enjoy God's creation. And when God made his creation, he said it was good. And so to have wonder at God's creation is to wonder at the pleasure and the goodness of God. It reframes our suffering, which is one of the things we get out of this passage. And it teaches us new questions that we need to ask as we ask God how our suffering in those areas in our lives that feel so out of control are useful in our life in Christ. The darkness It can be a productive time. And it's productive when we entrust ourselves and what's out of control to our God who works great things for his people in the dark. But first we need to admit that something's out of our control. That's hard for us to do. Admitting that something is out of control and choosing to sit with our heart silenced before the Lord in prayer can be the hardest thing to do. And it's the very thing that we need to do. So the goal is not answers for our suffering. The goal is coming through the dark night of the soul into the light of God's love. That's a relational goal. It's not, it's not purely a cognitive exercise. So I'm remembering a, a friend telling me about this tense moment in their life that they went through a few years back where they feared losing their job. They had sort of a falling out with their supervisor They felt like there was nothing they could do that would change the situation that they were in. And their their body was just alternating between these physiological reactions and feelings of complete physical numbness and anger and tears of sadness and shame. Because they felt like the work that they were doing was not being recognized. They felt unjustly targeted by their supervisor. And they kept recounting over and over what they could do to change this current situation and what caused the situation, what got them into this mess. And, and it, all it did was it just keep them, kept them spiraling in that place of numbness, tears, shame, numbness, anger, tears, shame. They kept spiraling. They couldn't think clearly. They couldn't function. They weren't themselves at all. They were terrified and angry and they felt like there was nothing they could do about it. But then they realized there's nothing they can do about it. They were terrified Uh, and, And as they realized that, and they handed over the anger, the fearfulness to the Lord, 
That conscious choice, it was a conscious choice to place the scenario into God's hands. And eventually, they got to the point of admitting to themselves that I can't change this situation. And so even if they lost their job, they trusted the Lord to help see them through that. They trusted the Lord to help provide something in the future. And that situation that they were in, it never got easier. And they actually did eventually have to leave. But they found God's presence when they stopped trying to control it. It led them to give more of themselves to the Lord, which allowed them uh, to live into a deeper obedience with him and to find peace and, and even joy at points in his presence in their daily life again. This thing that they couldn't control wasn't consuming them. There's freedom in recognizing that we can't control things and then sitting in the presence of the one who is in control of all things and for whom our suffering and his creative artistry, there's no contradictions among them. We might see in our lives contradictions from our perspective, but in the realm of God, artistry and suffering come together. So as one preacher said in a sermon that I heard like over a decade ago, he said, God doesn't give you answers. He gives you himself. And I found that comforting. And, and I hope to, that you do too as a child of, of God. When we admit that there's so much out of our control, and then when we meditate on that through God's creation, we discover a God who is at work in the darkness, who's present even in the silence, and who redeems suffering as something useful to those who follow the one whose suffering has brought life to the world. So let's take time to meditate on that today. After the service, we're going to be hanging out, having lunch, as long as you can make it in the 90-degree weather. Uh, and we're here, you know, Green Spring Gardens. Like, people come here to, to do that, actually. And so take time to meditate today as you're in the garden together in community and as you walk around in God's creation. By God's grace, let's grow together into this kind of community where we're learning what it means and growing deeper in what it means to entrust ourselves to the God and the things that we can't control, entrusting those things to our gracious God, our loving Father, who works good things for his people in the dark. Let's pray. O God, by whom the meek are guided in judgment and light rises up in darkness for the godly. Grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us to do. The spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, that in your light we may see light. And in your straight path we may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.